Uh, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, um, this week we'll be looking at chapter 9 and the first part of chapter 10, I hope. Um, just to recap, last week in chapter 8 we saw uh, the people of Israel uh, initiate this request for a monarchy. Samuel had judged them well, but his sons used their positions of power for their own selfish gain. In response, the people demanded a king. Uh, we spent some time last week thinking about whether this request for a king was a, a good thing or a bad thing. Um, on the good side, God um, himself is described as a king. Jesus is described as a king. There's laws in Deuteronomy regulating the behavior of a king. But on the other hand, in chapter 8, we saw in particular that Israel's dis- request for a king uh, specifically uh, represented a desire to conform to the standards of the world around them, and God interpreted uh, interpreted this request as a rejection of uh, him as a king. Uh, and one of the interesting things in Samuel, or you know, some of the debates you get, is uh, you know. Higher critical scholarship says this book consists of lots of different authors, and one of those authors or set of those authors is very pro-monarchy, and another set of those authors is very anti-monarchy, and that over time these two opposite positions have been melded together in one book. And they would point to, to things like uh, the transition from last week, chapter 8, which seemed to have a very anti-monarchical bent to it. Um, that this request for a king is a bad thing, and only bad things happen when you have a king. Taxes go up. He takes your men um, to serve in his army. He takes your, your uh, daughters to work in his household. He divvies out your goods to his buddies. Um, this week, I think we're going to see um, a very different perspective on on kingship and a more positive one. And so over the next several weeks, um, we need to think about how... Um, how uh, how the monarchy is being described here. Um, to think of both the positive and ne- negative aspects of Israel having a king. All right, so before we read chapter 9, let me uh, open us in a word of prayer. Almighty God, what a few glorious uh, days you've given us, given us uh, hopes of spring um, through the beautiful weather that you've granted. And while our, um, the world around us uh, rejoices in the glory of nature, we rejoice in one who made it and controlled it, uh, the glorious God who uh, speaks forth um, through the glories of his creation. Our passage today um, emphasizes your providential control and protection of your people, your providential guidance and um, governing of this world. We're reminded that you are the one who chooses and raises up kings and that you uh, look for certain characteristics and qualities in those who would be uh, good leaders, faithful leaders ask that you would um, give us wisdom to uh, see those uh, qualities you look for in leadership as we um, seek to uh, be leaders in the world around us, uh, bringing forth that distinct Christian perspective uh, into all that we do and all the ways that you ask us to serve in this world. Uh, Give us your Holy Spirit to be with us today, to... um, to speak to our hearts, uh, to change our hearts in those places where it is hardened, to soften it and make it receptive to the instructions of your word. And this we pray in our King, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. First Samuel chapter 9. Pick Bible up, pencil rolls off. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Athia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. 
There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he was. From his shoulders upward he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son, Take one of the young men with you. Arise, go, look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, and he passed through the land of Shalashah, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but they did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in the city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man was. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming down to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin. You shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He, he it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamin, Benjamin from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about thirty persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, Put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat it with the guests. So Samuel, or so Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul up on the roof, Up, that I might send you on your way. So Saul rose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. 
As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us, and when he is passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. All right, we'll stop there and we'll um, hopefully get a little bit of chapter 10 in in a while. But um, here we're we're greeted with uh, Israel's, uh, the man who will be Israel's first king. Um, We're given our first impressions of Saul. So what do we learn about Saul in this chapter? What kind of things um, struck you about how Saul is described here? Uh, what ways, um, why would you say unassuming and respectful? Well, he's he forward. I mean, he's kind of the people who are going to come and talk about the song. Ask why he doesn't come down to the things like this, like that. And nobody knows him. Yeah, just a, a man from Benjamin. Um, yeah, Mark. And it's interesting when we get to the part where David's being chosen, uh, Samuel shows up and he looks at David's brothers who are described in sort of a similar way, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else. And Samuel's like, ah, surely this is the guy that's going to be king. And it turns out. But yeah, the, um, you know, he's... he's He's Mr. Israel. (laughs) He won the Mr. Israel pageant. Um, It's the Scott Brown of the... uh, (laughs) Yeah, he's good looking, he's tall, he's head and shoulders above everyone else. So the passage emphasizes he's physically impressive. Um, Notice where, you know, later on it's sort of... He catches Samuel's eye and, you know, God tells Samuel, yeah, this is the man. But it's sort of like, you know, Samuel is focused on him because he is, you know, he, he looks the part, we could say. What else would we say? So um, he's unassuming, um, but at the same time, he, he, um, he's, uh, he looks the part. Yeah, we see his humility. You know, he considers himself to be of the weakest clan of the weakest tribe, and that's very similar to previous good leaders we've seen in the Old Testament. That's how, you know, Moses, who am I? But, you know, who's my father that, you know, the Lord should call to me? Gideon says the same thing in Judges. So he has that um, humble response. He's out looking for donkeys, he's not looking for the kingship. Um, you know, he, he's humble. Um, he's embarrassed by how Samuel addresses him. That saying, you know, who am I that you're putting me, you know, making me walk ahead of you, that you're putting me at the head of the table? So we see a certain humility on his part. Mary. Yeah, that he seeks counsel. Um, you know, he he's, he seeks counsel from um, his servant, and then he thinks this is a good idea to seek counsel from this man of God. Um, so he's not. Uh, we're not being shown someone who's stubborn. No, this is what we're going to do. He seeks wise counsel from both his servant and also from the prophet of God. Tim. Yeah, that he's a, we're, we're given he's um, this uh, in in verse one it says uh, it says a Benjamite um, the ESV has a man of wealth does anybody have something different there at verse one sometimes you get um, like the A or NAS has um, a mighty man of valor. So this this phrase could either refer to um, to um, some kind of military 
strength in his uh, his family has, or um, it also carries the connotation that he he's wealthy. But he has a certain social standing. So he we're seeing humility from someone um, who has a, a distinguished family line. Um, whether we take it as a valiant family line or a wealthy family line, it's distinguished. They know their genealogy and they can recount it. So this is a family, even though he's describing it of very humble origins, the text is letting us know, you know, he's well off. He's got servants, he's got lots of donkeys, um, yet he's, even though he has those circumstances, he's still the one who goes out and looks for them when his father asks him to. So I think that tells us a lot about him. Victor. A bribe? Um, but I think it's... Um, it's more you don't come empty-handed. Um, to when you're making a request before God, you, you don't come. And uh, in this case with Samuel, I mean that's what Samuel said. You know, he's known for not taking bribes. So whatever this is, it, it seems not to be a bribe. But you're right that the fact that I mean, uh, it, to me, it seems a lot like oracles. You know, you go to the oracle at Delphi. Um, you know, you you bring uh, you bring a gift. I mean, like Croesus when he's trying to decide whether to go against war against. Um, um, uh, oh, good grief! I'm blanking. Um, the barbarians. Who are the barbarians? Somebody help me out. Oh, good grief! The Persians. They came. <laughs> So, so Croesus sends, you know, he wants to inquire, you know, if he should go to war against this great Persian empire um, to the east of him. And he sends this enormous gift uh, to Delphi. And, you know, like the description goes into all the things he sent. And then the oracle comes back. Um, if you go, a mighty empire will fall. And then he goes, and a mighty empire does fall, his own. <laughs> you know, and then the, he gets mad at the oracle and is like, well, you should have asked a second question. <laughs> um, so it, it has that kind of uh, oracle feel that you know when you're going to acquire of God, um, you 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 bring a gift um, to to give to the prophet of God. Um, yeah, maybe that's how Samuel and other prophets um, are supporting themselves. Notice how we've got prophets um, well, in, in chapter two. You know, prophets are showing sort of start showing up, um, and we're really not given. You know, unlike the priest, where we have a firm, this is how the priest gets his living. You know, it's all codified. You know, you know he gets this portion. You know, these gifts come to him, and this portion of the gift to God. It goes to the priests. Prophets, there's a little rogue thing about prophets. We don't know how they get their support. Yeah, that here, here our, our storyteller is saying, you know, this word seer. You know, this isn't the word you know we use for prophet. And you know, the the author is writing from a time where um, prophet is going to is going to be um, in office. Um, it's going to be you know we're going to have uh, you know later in Samuel and then in the Kings you sort of have this distinction between the true prophets and then these court prophets. Um, so prophet is going to be you know a regular title, a more sort of regular kind of institution. But here it still seems to be kind of fuzzy and fuzzy to the extent that that our narrator has to sort of take an aside and sort of like now look you might what's the seer thing. That's what they called prophets at that time. So. Right. You know, seer could, could have this oracle sense, but that's how they referred to the prophets of, at this time. Is it clear here to solve what's going to happen? No. <laughs> no, and that's the... Um, yeah. Um, uh, this is... I mean... 
This is a story of a guy going out to look for lost donkeys. That's all he's looking for. Um, you know, he goes out to find lost donkeys and he ends up, at the end of the story, getting anointed king of Israel. <laughs> I mean, he did not go out seeking this for himself. Which, again, is something says us something important about the, the man who God's uh, choosing to be king here. Saul didn't go out and try to you know, amass power and status and wealth to himself. He's going out at his father's request to find some lost donkeys. Just an interesting contrast, I think, is that Christ came to earth. He didn't get crowned as king until he left. So it kind of puts the perspective of the importance of kingdom in a way. Yeah, we're you've got to be a servant before you're a king. And, um, I mean, I'll just read chapter, uh, or, you know, the very first word of, or verse of chapter 10. So we see Samuel sending Saul's servant away. So it's just Samuel and Saul. And that's the moment, just the two of them, that he's anointed king. You know, like, you would think anointed king would be like, oh, Israel's first king, where's the press? Where's the crowds? And it's two people, um, you know. Nobody else is around. Um, God has a very different way of, of, of choosing and anointing kings than the world. Yeah, and 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 here to it, it, it almost even if those things were present, it's it's almost we have to have a description of it because nobody was taking pictures. <laughs> you know, it's that seems to be the point that you know this is not a big public event that people are um, are publicizing. Um, you know, it's. Uh, it's God's manner of, of bringing this king to the fore is very different um, than, than the world, standards of the world. And let me just, so here we have someone, um, just to list the things you've said. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's got a, uh, he's from a, a family of status. Um, he's physically impressive. Um, he's conscientious and attentive to his duty. He does what his father does. Ask him to do. He goes. And, um, he looks widely for his donkeys. I mean, that, I think that's the point of he went this place. They weren't there. He went to this other place. He's not there. Um, uh, one thing we didn't mention, but I'll just throw it in here on this conscientious thing. He's worried that his father will worry about him and his servant. Um, that at some point the donkeys cease to be important, and the he knows his father is going to be worried about him. So, you know, he's concerned about that. He's humble and he seeks directions from others and ultimately from God. These sound like pretty good qualities for king, don't they? Yeah, some people have said, you know, is this like a squire? Is this the, you know... Um, to take one servant, I mean, you could also take to take the first servant. So is this like the head of many servants? Um, but he definitely seems to have a great relationship uh, with them, even to the extent of, hey, can I borrow some money to pay the prophet? <laughs> I love how Samuel finally says, stop worrying about the dog. He didn't Yeah, um, and, and that's what we're about to turn to. This, uh, you know, I think this encounter between Saul and Samuel is, is really... Um, amazing. Um, but to just sort of wrap up our first, um, uh, you know, our first glimpse of Saul, I mean, this is the guy, you know, if we could find somebody like this to run for president, I think we'd vote for him. <laughs> um, this is a guy who is a, has qualities we would desire in, in leaders. And, but we're being given a story of a guy searching for donkeys. And that's really a story about God finding a king. Um, you know, Saul's not looking for the throne, but God is, um, 
is, is looking for his king and has found him here in Saul. So here we have a story of this guy looking for donkeys who happens on to... Uh, who happens on to a prophet who's holding a banquet in his honor. <laughs> um, if you were to, to try to like sum up the story in a word or a phrase of, of um, you know, Saul, um, Saul, this process of Saul being um, chosen king, what, how would you describe um, this process. What, what's a word or phrase you would use to describe this story that we encounter here? Unorthodox. So yeah, this is not the. <laughs> yeah, surprise. Um, serendipitous. Mary's got to pull out the you know ten dollar word there. You know. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> Sovereign surprise. Um, you know, if the world was surprise, yeah, three S's. That'll that work. You can write that down and save that for a sermon later, Jerry. You know, <laughs> you need that alliteration for good sermon title. You know, preach on this one day. Sovereign serendipitous surprise. Um, you know, some people might say, you know, Saul really lucked into being king, but it's um, it's the providence of God really shaping these circumstances. You know, they wandered to that particular place, and look at the you know this encounter with the young women coming down to draw water, and notice like um, you know the timing words that show up in this passage. Uh, is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold. He's just ahead of you. Hurry. He has just now come to the city. Because the people have a sacrifice today. If you came yesterday, he wouldn't have been here. If you come tomorrow, he wouldn't have been here. You came at the exact moment. Go up, for you will meet him immediately. Um... You know, and as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place. So, I mean, they've come to the right city, you know, in their wandering for these donkeys. And they've come at, you know, not just, you know, near the right time. <laughs> Boom. You know, it's like on the minute, you know, that, um, that you know, they hit this, this chance meeting with the prophet Samuel. Yeah, and um, that's something I want to turn to toward the end because we, we actually, Saul's anointed twice. Um, he's anointed uh, privately here and then, and he's, I mean, we get two choosing stories. So it's, we have this story where it's sort of like this moment where the only people who know Saul as king is Saul and Samuel. And then in the next chapter, you know, we're going to have the story of him being chosen, you know, by Lot. And so it's, and then publicly anointed. So we have two stories. yeah, he's uh, so with David. That's the same thing. Um, you know, Samuel goes to his house, finds him, anoints him there in front of his family. So his family is you know are in on it, but it's not a big public ceremony. And then later you have the public declaration that this is God's king. Um, but it's interesting that you know you, you know again this it's an uh, unorthodox way of you know if you're anointing someone king why the need uh, to do it in secret um, and that's a question I want to come to in a moment so he, um, he's 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 at the right place at the right time and the only person who knows what's going on is Samuel and he knows because God's told him um, and is, is sort of leading him step 
step by step. So, you know, the day before Saul came, the Lord revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from Benjamin. You shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Does that sound different than the uh, circumstances leading to the choosing of a king that we saw last week? I mean, last week you, we had the people demanding a king and God sort of acquiescing in their response. But this seems to be a much more, I've heard the cry of my people, I'm going to raise up this particular man who's going to deliver them from the Philistines. Yeah. Seems to be a much more positive kind of spin. Victor. In what way? So not everybody's in our great system. Yeah, that the people have cried out, and so you know that God listens and responds. George. Yeah, so these things, even though you know, I started off by saying some people want to really sort of say these are completely two different stories that have been, you know, hodgepodge together. There's a little more consistency there. And and again, we see how um, the people might want something for their own set of particular purposes. And God is letting them have it, not to meet their desired ends, but because God has particular sovereign purposes in that as well. Yeah, uh, and, and one of the things we're going to be struggling with in the next few weeks is this. Um, what does it mean uh, to be king of Israel? What is God looking for in a king? Because Samuel, I mean Saul starts off, he looks the part. Um, he certainly seems to be acting the part. Um, but he gets rejected fairly quickly. Um, so w- what is it about David? Um, who does, we might see, uh, if we are just sort of compare, you know, um, known sins of each. You know, David's seem to be like, uh, you know, murder, adultery. <laughs> um, you know, it seems to be pretty heavy on the sin category. And yet, that's the man that... This is man after God's own heart. Um, versus Saul, you know, he, he, you know, gets a little antsy and makes a sacrifice without Samuel being present. And you're out. Um, but just to be thinking of that now, you know, as to think about starting off, um, you know, we know the rest of the story, but, you know, starting off, Saul looks good. Um, and and seems to be responding in the ways you would want a king to respond um, in humility and obedience to authority, um, seeking out wise counsel, all these kinds of traits we might identify as being desirable and a godly leader. Yeah, I think that this teaches us a lesson. We can think about a lot of handsome things to do, things, but you've got to remember God is the one who leads this nation. Yeah, and, and uh, we're going in the wrong direction. So the people need restraint. Yeah, people need restraint. That they need this kind of godly leadership. Mike. Yeah. 
Yeah, this story is establishing God's authority over the king. Yes, Israel is going to get a king as they requested. Um, they're not going to get it in maybe the orthodox way of choosing a king. Like, who's the most powerful person from the most powerful tribe in Israel? And that needs to be the king. It's we're going to the least tribe, um, someone who describes himself as being from the least clan. Um, it's happening in secret. It's not in this, you know big public forum yet um, it seems to be backwards um, from the way we might normally choose a king Mary were you going to say something I was thinking the same thing Yeah, and there are a couple, the other thing, um, sort of on similar lines, um, you know, I was a little disturbed by these high places. High places are condemned in Deuteronomy. This is something, you know, worshiping at high places um, is something that's supposed to be avoided. And yet here it seems to be part and parcel of everyday um, kind of, of, of living. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer. Uh, but I, I sort of had similar kind of... There's, there's some disturbing aspects to this episode. And frankly, I don't know exactly um, how to handle those things. Because, again, my narrator here isn't sort of like it's bad to, you know, to you know, ask specifically, you know, to treat the prophet as an oracle. You know, what's going to happen in the future? It's bad to worship in high places. You know, it, we're not getting that kind of moral commentary. And so, you know, I, I you know, not that I was worried, but, you know, it just sort of a little discomfort. Um, like... This isn't a stranger because I mean they're coming from a clearly a fortified city out to draw water. So I mean, again, and his dad's worried about Saul. I mean, these aren't um, you know easy times of you you know you can go from Concord to Boston and you know you know yeah you don't have to worry about it you know. Um, you know, there, there's there's a lot of this is, these are dangerous times. Um, so the fact that they greet him pretty warmly, um, it could be because he inspires confidence. It could be just the day it is. They're excited. I mean, this is a um, a festival day in their city. The prophet's coming. They're having a feast, a sacrifice, um, and it, it's interesting. Um, again, the providential aspects of this. Saul is showing up to a feast, uh, unexpected, um, unaware that he's the guest of honor, <laughs> that he's going to be in a special seat. And, you know, the, this, this odd kind of note to the cook, bring the portion I gave you, which I said to you, put it aside. So, you know, we separated a piece of this meal. You know, we set aside a piece of this meal. And now the guest for whom that set-aside portion, he's arrived. Serve it to him now. I mean, this is all happening to Saul unawares. Um, but, you know, Samuel has, has uh, crafted this. And... Um, 
you know, he's showing up at a banquet in his honor that he didn't know he was invited to. One of the things you had mentioned, struggling with, and reading this is why high places I didn't see why talking to Samuel the seer. To me, it seems the emphasis is on God's surprise in His work, in spite of the imperfections the institution of the church which was there not without the temple without the park and all that stuff and Samuel traveling around and there's never a time even when the kings came and the good kings they still had these high places the institution was still messed up but God was still working yeah and the institution of the church our church isn't if someone would come here and apply everything we should be doing. You know, we do it imperfectly, but God still works. And, that's and so I'm, I struggle with those things. It's a wondrous thing for me is how God is so actively involved doing what needs to be done in spite of our weakness and failure, whether it's a person or an institution. It does. Um, it reminds me, um, I have a friend, um, my friend Bebo. Um, he always says, uh, God strikes straight blows with crooked sticks. Um, you know, God uses weak, faulty people and institutions to achieve his great, glorious purpose. Um, and, and this is, I think, a great picture of that. You know, um, and the institutions that are going to be established aren't going to be perfect institutions. Yet God is still going to be uh, in relationship with these people, still bringing um, God's sovereign rule uh, to pass. All right, well, I, I just want to do the first little bit about uh, of chapter 10, um, and then we'll close. Because um, the story sort of really concludes with 16, um, which is our final mention of the donkeys, which is what the story um, started with. So I'm going to just read um, verses 1 through 16 of chapter 10, and we, we'll probably... Um, even though it's concluding the story with the donkeys, I have a feeling that there are going to be some things in this we might want to talk about further next week. But just to sort of bring the arc of our donkey story to a close. Then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, and kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went out to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go back on from their father and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. And after that you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Then he turned his back to leave Samuel. God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. 
And when all knew him previously, saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To to seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. So why choose a king in secret? What is the point of anointing someone king? Yeah, I was anointing king to y'all today. Didn't y'all know that? <laughs> oh, y'all weren't there? Yeah, nobody was there. Uh, but I was. Yeah, it seems to be the purpose is not for Israel yet. We're going to have the ceremony and the you know going through this choosing of Lot and narrowing it down the tribe and then narrowing the clan in the tribe and then narrowing it down to a specific purpose. We're going to have this huge public performance, which seems to be for Israel. But we're going through this selection process here that seems to be all about Saul. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, I was an, I'm anointed king and yeah, it's going to tough, but it takes time for uh, that that um, this process to take place. Yeah, whereas this, it seems to be, you know, you're going to be king, but you do this. <laughs> you don't do anything else. You don't take it into yourself to, to make yourself king. God's anointed. Yeah, so we see there. I mean, again, those are things in the future we're going to see unfold. Um, You know, what is it about David? And I think it's that kind of character that he does go through a longer waiting process. There are opportunities where, in human terms, he can take the throne for himself, but he's going to he refuses to do that and waits on God to do what God's promised him, which is to make him king. I think there's a danger if you've been anointed king and his enemies around, so I think secrecy is... Yeah, um, secrecy is important. Um, uh, yeah, I, uh, we need to end, but to just think of character-wise. You know, if you're building a king... Uh, you need to instill in that person who's going to be the first king and um, there needs to be a certain uh, confidence that this, you know, maybe that Samuel's just some crazy guy who's going around splashing oil on people, you know. How is he going to have um, confidence that this is 
you know, really God's direction. And, and that's why we get this, um, this predictive discourse here, you know. And notice this in, you know, the great thing about this, uh, um, you know, the sign that Samuel gives to Saul. This shall be the sign. You know, you're going to go out. You're going to meet at at Rachel's tomb. You're going to meet two men. They're going to tell you this. You're going to go on to the Oka Tabor. You're going to meet three men. One man has three goats. One has three loaves of bread. One has some wine. You're going to get two loaves of bread. Then you're going to go on, and at this place, you're going to meet this band of prophets, and you yourself. Um, will enlist among them their number. Um, so to think about, um, you know, again, and he's the only one who is going to have any understanding that signs of God are, are coming to pass. I mean, this all seems to be about um, instilling in Saul confidence that the word of God making him king is going to come is, is true and that... He can similarly, if he relies on the Word of God, um, uh, understand that what God tells him will come to pass. All right, so uh, next week we'll pick up again. We'll probably redo chapter 10 and, um, and move to the second part where we have um, the public installation of, of Saul as king. We'll see that private confirmation and then that public confirmation. But let me close this in a word prayer. Almighty God, you are a God who does work um, uh, with sovereign, serendipitous surprise. That you take uh, ordinary people going about their ordinary business of life and you use them for your sovereign purposes. You take uh, a sinful people, uh, people who, um, who fail in so many ways as individuals and also corporately as a church. And yet you do mighty things uh, through your people. And we would ask that you would give us eyes to see the mighty ways you could use us in our town, in our country, and in our world. Uh, Sometimes um, we think ourselves uh, um, like Saul. You know, I'm the least. What possibly uh, could you want with me? But the point isn't that we're the least, but that you're the most. And that you can do amazing things through the weakest of vessels. Uh, Give us hearts uh, willing to follow the directions that you give us uh, through your word and your spirit. Even now, be shape, shape us in this corporate act of worship and the public proclamation of your word that we would be faithful hearers and doers of those things which you command us. We pray in the name of our prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ. Amen.